0: You can go back here. Well, we're continuing our sermon series uh, till the end of January, today, next week, and the final week in January, on the stories that Jesus told. And uh, so I want to begin this morning with two stories. (coughs) Today I'm going to be focused on the whole issue of lostness, being lost. And you know there are different categories of lostness. For instance, before I came here to minister I was going down to Cayuga, Indiana as interim for a few Sundays. And one of the Sundays I wore a tie that was a thicker tie. And uh, I should have known right away that when I was trying to put the tie clasp on, and I was having a hard time of hooking it, that I probably should make a different decision. But I didn't. And so I put the tie pin on, and uh, it was as we were walking to the car after the service that I looked down and realized that the tie pin wasn't there. It was gone. Now what made it an even more significant loss was that it was a tie pin that my father had given me that was one that he wore frequently, that it had a small diamond in it, but it wasn't the monetary value. It was the fact that that was something that I still had of my father, who at that time I no longer had. Lost and never found. I walked back and forth. I traced my steps inside the auditorium, into the Sunday school classroom where I had been. It was getting to the point where I'm sure my family was starting to think, Dad, are you ever going to stop looking? It was complicated by the fact that there was some snow on the ground, and so the next Sunday when I went back and there wasn't snow, I again retraced my steps because I had lost something that was dear to me, and I hadn't found it. The second story. It's a story about being lost but not realizing it. This is actually the lion who recently had to be euthanized at the zoo in Buffalo, New York because of age and illness. But it was the lion I understand or possibly was the lion that when I was a young boy I was standing looking at at that zoo in Buffalo, New York. I was enamored by the lion. Its strength its size, so enamored that I didn't realize that my family had moved on to see something else. And all of a sudden, I turned and looked around, and they were nowhere to be seen. I was lost in their minds, and I didn't realize it. I knew right where I was. I hadn't moved. But still there was a sense in which I was not where I was supposed to be. And that put me in the category of being lost. Many say that the 15th chapter of Luke is at the very heart of Luke's gospel. It really is. And what we have here from the beginning of chapter 15 through the 31st chapter of chapter 16, the 31st verse of chapter 16, is a succession of five parables in a row. And these parables are set, as you'll see by glancing back at the end of chapter 14, within the context in which Jesus has been urging his listeners to pay close attention to what he's saying. Luke 14 ends with a rather terse, rather pithy, rather sharp statement of Jesus. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, clearly, all of us this morning have ears. Uh, it would only be because of some accident or because of some genetic form, uh, issue that we didn't. We all have ears. And Jesus is saying, I know that each of you have ears. I know you actually can process the information that you're hearing. But I want you to be paying close attention to what I have to say. And then what follows immediately at the beginning of chapter 15, what we discover is that it was in fact the tax collectors and sinners who were listening. And we also learn who it is that would have their fingers in their ears so to speak now remember of course as I've shared with you several times as of late there were no chapter breaks in the original gospels as they appeared no pause, no heading at the beginning of chapter 15 and so immediately Luke tells us that the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering near to hear. but the Pharisees and uh, and teachers of the law Luke says they were grumbling saying this man receives sinners and eats with them so one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning is with which group do we identify by the way These three parables in chapter 15 are to be taken together for many reasons. But certainly, since Luke again provides us with an inclusio, a set of brackets. Verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling about how Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And at the close of the chapter, we're going to find the brother who was angry and grumbling because his father who represents our loving Heavenly Father. His Father had killed the fattened calf for the Son and had devoured the Son who had devoured the Father's property with His sinful and unacceptable living. So the chapter begins with people grumbling about Jesus being with tax collectors and sinners and it ends with the elder brother grumbling because his Father has accepted this brother that he sees as wayward and sinful. Now, I think it's very important that we understand that this opening paragraph is setting up all three of the parables which follow. Jesus is addressing a situation in which the sinners gathered to hear him. And those who were ostracized, those who were stigmatized by the religious leaders, they were the ones who were actually paying very close attention to what Jesus was saying. So I ask once more, with whom do we identify? The self-righteous Pharisees? The older brother who grumbles because of what others are doing or not doing? Because the reality of our condition. Is that we are in a very serious situation where people are lost and need to be found? Are we willing to reach out to help the Father seek those who are lost? I don't know if you've heard the story, but I heard this story many years ago. It was about a young man who every morning got up and said the same prayer. Father, give me a chance today to speak to somebody about the love you have and the love of your son Jesus. He said that prayer. He got dressed, got on his way, went down, caught the bus, got on and sat down. The very next stop, a great, big, burly-looking guy got on the bus. And even though the bus was almost empty, the guy came back and sat down right next to him. Well, he was a little anxious. He was actually looking forward to his stop where he could get off, or the guy's stop where he would get off. And all of a sudden, the big burly guy burst into tears and began to weep, and he cried out with a loud voice, I need to be saved! I'm a lost sinner and I need the Lord. Won't somebody tell me how to be saved? And he turned to this young man and he pleaded, Can you show me how to be saved? Well, the young man immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? Often, that is exactly what Where we find ourselves. We really do want to reach out. We really are concerned about the lost. We verbalize that to others. We pray to God for an opportunity. But when the time comes, we fall back into our familiar patterns of behavior. The first two parables that Jesus tells in this chapter, they both begin on a note of loss. A shepherd loses one of his flock. A woman loses a coin. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. The context. Chapter 14. Jesus had been dining at the home of a Pharisee. We talked about it last Sunday. It was a Sabbath. And He told a couple of parables about how the gifts were promoting themselves to the seats of honor. And then another one, how those who were chosen had not responded to the invitation to the great banquet how those who expected to get into the banquet would be excluded, and those who were thought to be lost, those from the highways and the byways, they would be the ones that were included. Now, let me make a note here. The Pharisees classed everybody who was not a part of their immediate religious in-crowd as people of the land if you weren't a part of their deal then you were considered aliens and strangers and if you then found yourself in that category then you were shunned by those who knew how to conduct themselves in a religious fashion in fact there were even regulations like this one and I quote when a man is one of the people of the land entrust no money to him, take no testimony from him, trust him with no secret, do not appoint him guardian of an orphan, do not make him the custodian of charitable funds, do not accompany him on a journey. In one of the original Jewish writings. And so striking and stringent were these regulations That the Pharisees were forbidden to actually be a guest of any such individual or in turn to have such a person as a guest in their home. That's why I shared with you last Sunday, it was an obvious trap when the man from Drowsy was there in the home of the Pharisee. It was their deliberate policy to avoid all contact with that kind of people. And shepherds, they were outcasts. We have this glorified image of shepherds. But in Jesus' day, the shepherds were considered unclean. They couldn't even go to the temple to worship because of their constant contact with the animals. But the shepherd in Jesus' story had a considerable flock of sheep. He was moderately well off. Which would lead these Pharisees to believe that he must have been blessed by God. And on paper, the loss of a single sheep would not affect his estate very much. A 1% loss, that's somewhat acceptable for business. Nobody wants to lose money, but certainly a 1% loss. The economists would say that That's something that could be written off and you would move on. But even that 1% was of great value before God. On the other hand, the loss of the coin was very serious to the woman. Some commentators say that those 10 coins would have either been a part of her dowry or a part of a headband that was actually given to the bride on the wedding day. Much like a wedding ring. And a lost coin would have been like the loss of a diamond out of a set of diamonds on a ring. In fact, other commentators will say that the poor woman was living out of part of her savings, and either way, the loss is real. The coin, a drachma, would be a day's wages. A great loss for the woman if she was poor. And then we're told about the search. Both the woman and the shepherd immediately began their search. The the shepherd searched because he cared for that sheep, she searched because the coin was of great value to her. The good shepherd knows what a pitifully helpless animal that sheep would be that he was seeking. Its instincts are virtually useless. Pathetically defenseless. And so the search is not perfunctory. He he actually pours his energy into it, combs the valleys, peers from the hilltops, calling, seeking. Basically, Jesus is telling those Pharisees that he, Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy. We need to know the Old Testament. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and 12. I myself will search for my sheep. I will rescue them from all of the places where they were scattered. Verse 16, I search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Verse 22, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. Ezekiel chapter 34 is talking about the Messiah, the Messiah searching out the people who had been taken captive and were exiles. And the search is relentless. The shepherd can't allow himself to rest. The lost must be found. And the lost coin, it's of such value to the woman that, I mean, it's a whirlwind of organized persistence. Ancient homes were traditionally windowless and dark. And she lights a lamp. Traditionally, the floors would have straw on them, on a dirt floor. And she says, we're told that she sweeps the floor clean. Nothing was left unturned as she searched upon her knees. She had to find the coin. Perhaps you have had the experience of being separated from a young child while in a large department store or sporting event or whatever. You look for the youngster frantically. Feeling confident that the child is all right, but also feeling the worst. And when the two of you are reunited, what joy it is. My dad was so glad when he found me there at that lion's cage that he took off his belt. No, I know where you thought he was going. He took off his belt and and looped it around one of my. belt loops and made a leash so that I would not have that happen again Jesus was saying as the parables turn out that the shepherd and the woman together reveal the heart that he has as he searches for the lost His compassion for lost souls and the immense value he places on lost souls. C.G. Montefiore, he's actually a Jewish New Testament scholar. He said that these parables would have been revolutionary because the rabbis all agreed that God would not welcome a repentant sinner. The idea that God seeks sinners was a new insight. God would only reckon them when they came back giving their sacrifices. He wouldn't go out seeking. And yet, if you look at both the lost sheep and the lost coin parables, both the sheep and the coin were not where they were supposed to be. They were out of place. And so were we. And so is the lost of the world. And if you do look at the Old Testament, I think the rabbis were wrong. I think God constantly is going back and calling for His people who had strayed, calling for them to return. He even laments, how often have I brought you back and you departed and I brought you back again. Read Hosea. He wanted Hosea to know what it felt like to have something that was lost, to go out and redeem it only to lose it again. But notice, in the parables, there's also recovery and rejoicing. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. It's repeated by Jesus' four emphases. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. God does rejoice. And the expression before the angels of God is an indirect reference to God Himself. God uses people like you and me to convey the message of salvation to those that are lost, the good news. And there's rejoicing in heaven when the lost are found. And it's at this point that Jesus makes a significant change. The third parable, which is probably the one with which we are the most familiar, which has come to be known as the parable of the prodigal son, it's not about sheep. It's not about coins. It's about a father and his children. And notice how the story begins. Chapter 15 verse 11 says, There was a man who had two sons. I think we often miss that point because our focus is so much on the son who goes off to live in a wild and lavish way. Actually, have you ever stopped to think how the parable could be called the parable of the prodigal God? Because the word prodigal means extremely generous or lavish. It doesn't mean the one who went wild and crazy. And the story is primarily about the lavishness of God's love. That's in the words of A.W. Tozer. I love A.W. Tozer. His, his devotional writings. He calls it, God's love, an incomprehensible, vast, bottomless, shoreless sea Eric preached a sermon not too long ago using this parable and his big idea for the sermon was if we only believed his love and at one point he stressed how the love of the father is greater than the wrongs that we might do God loves us in such a way. God loves us so much, we're told, that He gave His only begotten Son. That's lavish. That's incomprehensible. And the story is about a young man who literally wished that his father was dead. He wanted his portion of the inheritance so that he could leave and do as he pleased and his rebellion against the love and provisions of his father is matched only by his love of himself. It was all about me, myself, and I. And so he sets out to do his own thing. I can hear him as he's going down the lane. (laughs) I've got money now. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. And you know what? Many of us have been right there. The great Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, excellent book, highly recommended. It's a book he wrote after the loss of his wife. He didn't marry till late in life. They'd only been married a short time till she was stricken with cancer and died. He talks about how when he was younger he walked out of the church service one Sunday in the Anglican church that he was a part of and he said to himself that's the end of it, I'm done, I'm gone. And he turned away from God for a significant period of his life. He turned his back on his father's house his own literal father he walked away Some of us have done the very same thing. And yet we're here this morning. Why? Because that's when there comes a famine. And Jesus' explicit description of what happened must have made his Jewish hearers whine. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. Literally, he glued himself to a Gentile as a servant. A horrible humiliation for a Jew. A day laborer, the very lowest of the servants. And his master sent him to his feed, field to feed Pigs. Again, an unspeakable degradation for a Hebrew. A Jewish swineherd. And verse 16 frames the picture. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. So there he was. As one writer put it, in the midst of a sea of moving snouts and uncaring pigs. Just a few months earlier, why, everybody loved him. All that money, having those parties. They probably said he had class. Like a star rising in from the heavens. And now, no one would even give him a husk to chew on. He had sought freedom and thought he had found it. But now, he was in virtual slavery. I find it interesting that if you read some of the memoirs, some of the autobiographies of some of the people who were a part of the 60s, free love generation, none of them are talking about how blessed they were because of that experience. It brought pain. It brought brokenness. It brought problems to marriages. I like the words of Alistair Begg. He says, a famine emerged, and it was a door of opportunity He began to be in want. A sad but glorious moment. He lost his money, verse 14. He lost his freedom, verse 15. And he lost his self-respect, verse 16. And Jesus says very simply in his story, when he came to himself, let me tell you something. Nobody will give you anything that can answer the awareness of your need and longing for spiritual food and clothing. But if you are prepared to admit the predicament in which you are so clearly to be found, to come to your senses, and if you're willing to take a step back on that road to confess and repent, then you'll discover that just like in the story, The Father will be looking, watching, waiting for you, and when you appear on that horizon, He will come running to meet you. And guess what? That was another twist in the story for his Jewish hearers because no respectable Jewish man in that day would be seen running for anything. And he'll not meet you with recriminations. No, there'll be a new realization that the child who was dead is alive again. That the child who was lost is found. So the celebration will begin. Now, I purposefully am ending with verse 24 because I knew this would be enough to try to cover in this time. And I wanted to save the elder brother for next Sunday. Because you see, I don't think it was a father who had one son who was lost. I think it was a father who had two sons and they were both lost. One was lost out there. The other was lost right in the home. So here's the challenge that I want to leave for you today. We need to be seeking the lost. We need to be helping hurting people. And that can be messy. And unfortunately at times it'll seem like we lose. But are we helping those that we can? Are we planting seeds? Trusting that someone else will come along and water and nourish and perhaps even experience the, the reaping of the harvest. Again, did you notice that in the parable of the lost sheep, the sheep was out there. But the lost coin, it was lost within the house. I think our reach needs to be both out of the house But it also needs to be in the house. I think we need to bring the search home inside our own house, our own temple, our own body, our own mind. Because sometimes I don't think we realize just how prejudiced we are. I have heard so many things in the four and a half years that I have lived here in Brook that I never thought I would hear in a small community. References in a negative way to people of another race, of people of another nationality, of marriages between couples that are mixed. You know what? I hope this doesn't come as a shock to you and I hope you're not disappointed because I'm not but I have a daughter who is married to one of the best young black men that I have ever known John is a gem and I have a nephew who is married to a beautiful black woman they live in in Kenya and work with the disabled and orphaned children that come their way and I know that Rich and Cindy have a daughter that's married to a very fine young black gentleman. I've met Brian and their grandson Tyson and just love them. We have celebrated two of Tyson's birthdays with him. Only missed one because of not being able to be together. We need to realize that as long as we are harboring any form of prejudice in our hearts and in our minds, we are like the Pharisees who are not listening to Jesus, not like the tax collectors and the sinners who realize who they are and seek Him out. Let's pray. Father God, help us today to have the love of Your Son, Jesus. Help us to love in such a way that our love is not thwarted by how rich or poor somebody might be, how tattered their clothes might be, what color their skin might be, what occupation they might have, Help us to realize that our call is to reach out and love them and bring them in and that you and your spirit will do the cleansing that we cannot do. Use us to this end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.